everyone, and welcome to another episode of SFC Connects, the podcast where I interview staff, partners, and others on a number of different issues related to the community and Skills for Change programs. Today we have Dean Del Peach, Senior Manager of Talent Acquisition at Fix Software here with us today. Fix has been an employer partner of Skills for Change for a few years now, and their team has supported us with employment opportunities, mentorship, and guest speaking at workshops. So we're really, really happy to have you here today, Dean. Welcome. Hey, Sampada. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me today. You're wearing a sweatshirt in this uh, ridiculous heat. (laughs) Well, the reason I'm wearing a sweatshirt is because my house is an icebox right now (laughs) due to this ridiculous heat. So that's why I'm wearing the sweatshirt. I I totally hear you. I haven't been outside in about three days. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Um, So I wanted to get started. You were recently a speaker in our anti-Black racism discussion series and particularly around unconscious bias and anti-Black racism in the workplace. So I wanted to take and you provided some really critical insights into the Black experience and, you know, um, so I really wanted to talk a little bit about your personal experience as well as the professional and, you know, um, some advice that you, uh, you know, we'll get into advice that you have for individuals getting into the HR profession. Um, But uh, first to start, um, I wanted to ask you, as we know, Black families have a long history of settling in Canada, dating back to the 1600s. And you had mentioned that your roots are in Jamaica. So I'm just very curious as to your family's journey from Jamaica to Canada. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, first of all, uh, I'm first generation Canadian and my mother is from Montego Bay, Jamaica. My father is from the island of St. Vincent. (laughs) Um, And uh, I guess a little bit of the journey, just to give you some insight. So uh, my dad actually, when he was, uh, you know, 20, moved to the UK for for school. Mm -hmm. And when he moved to the UK, our family name was changed from Del Pesh to Del Peach because he changed um, the S to an A. So to make it sound more English sounding. So there's not a lot of Del Peaches in the world, believe it or not. And, um, uh, and when he moved back to St. Vincent, he decided to move to Toronto. And in Toronto, that's where he met my mother. And they um, got married and had three boys here in Toronto, me being the, the youngest of the three. So I've got roots all over the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been back at all? I've, I go to Jamaica quite frequently. Actually, I've never been to St. Vincent, which is shame on me. I need to go. Um, but I, I, I go to Jamaica quite frequently. And to be quite honest with you, as soon as they lift the quarantine restrictions, I'll be working yes. from Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we have to wait a little while longer to do that traveling, but hopefully yes. we'll back there soon. I, how did your experience as a first-generation Black man of immigrant parents uh, what was that like growing up in Canada and how did it shape your career path? Yeah, for sure. You know, my parents were both very, very hardworking. My mom, um, you know, she she uh, graduated, in, you know, from post-secondary in, um, in Jamaica. And when she came here, she became a nurse and she was an, an RNA um, in Toronto. My dad was, you know, uh, entrepreneurial. 
Um, but the one, one thing that I found with them is because they were so hardworking and my mom doing shift work and all those things, you know, sometimes we as kids, we had to fend for ourselves, right? Um, and kind of, you know, do that. And so they did, our, they did their best, at, you know, to really um, grow us up fairly middle class. Uh, but you know, but we weren't, we weren't rich by any means. And, uh, and, 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 you know, moving around quite a, quite a bit, you know, what, what I, I just remembered was I didn't know what I wanted to do. If I'm being honest with you, Simpata, from a career perspective, um, and, and to even be a little bit more honest, I got kind of caught up when I was a young, when I was about 15, 14, 15 with the wrong crowd. Mm. And, um, and truly, if it wasn't for divine intervention at a certain point in time in my life, who knows where I'd be today? Yeah. Um, but but uh, eventually, uh, you know, my my uh, my my life kind of turned around and and eventually got into the recruitment and HR field. So right. that's kind of a little bit about how it was. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of uh, our story. I know, you know, um, is young men in you know high school. It's really easy to kind of fall into those wrong crowds and. What happens beyond there? It's um, you know, uh, it could be a crapshoot, right? You either you down that path, or you're able to get out of it and um, you know, move forward. So glad to hear that. Um, you know, and it also probably uh, roots you a little bit more and, and uh, really appreciates where you come from, right? So absolutely. I'd like to now delve into your career path and how you got into the HR field. Yeah, it's quite interesting, actually, you know, um, pretty much kind of what ended up happening is I was working in financial services sales uh, in my in my early 20s um, and was referred to that through a friend and did that for about three years. Mm -hmm. And then I always I had this friend who worked in recruitment. He worked in staffing, actually, for for an agency. And he was um, in Toronto, but he moved to Atlanta. And he was doing like IT, um, SAP consultants, and he was making a lot of money. He'd always say, Dean, oh, you got to do this. You're going to make a lot of money. You got to do this. And, you know, I'd be like, yeah, 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 whatever, you know. I didn't even know what recruitment was. And, and one day, I was just like, you know, maybe I do need a change, right? And he had a friend who... Uh, uh, he was a have, he had a friend who was his business partner in Toronto, and he said, "Hey, go meet with Courtney um, and talk to him, and we want to get you on board." So I met with I met I had a conversation with Courtney, and I'm telling you, Simpada, this was like the conversation that changed my life. He says to me, "Dean, you know, because we um, have experience doing this, mm -hmm. it's better for you to go and work for a larger company, and then come back in like a year or so and work with us, right? Yeah. Get your feet wet and do that." Right. And so that's what I did. Honestly, I went out and interviewed with like four companies and landed my first um, opportunity in recruitment yeah. and spent, and now it's kind of spent over 10 years in, 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 you know, tech and recruitment. And what ended up happening is um, I had a client who actually, you know, wanted me to come work internally for them on the corporate side. So that's how I got out of staffing. Okay. And, and so I was like a lead doing lead. Uh, I was a lead developer for them. And then I started, because I was in an HR department now, I started to get accustomed to HR and understand right. HR and work on HR projects. And so that's kind of how I really started to progress and get into the HR field. Yeah. Right. That's really interesting. I've heard a lot that there's a lot of shift 
and there can be a lot of shift within the HR profession because you, you know, there is recruitment, there's professional development, there's all these different areas, which we'll get into a little bit. So, um, yeah, and so you talked a little bit about um, having this individual who said, go and, uh, you know, go to this corporate field and then come back and work with us. So uh, from that perspective, um, who were your early influences in your careers and the mentors and, and has that changed uh, now? Um, I, I would say it's changed now because my focus is a little bit different. But in my early stages, um, I had a wonderful manager. Her name was Kimberly Dennis. I will never forget her. She really saw something in me. And I don't know what she saw, but she saw something in me <laughs> that made her push me, right? And really use my talents. And it was the first time, I'm just to be honest, it was the first time in the workforce where I felt like maybe I do have something that I could add value to an right. organization. Wow. And so, and so um, uh, she was, I would say, probably one of the first primary people to really, really push me along my way. Um, I would say another mentor in my career. So when I went into the corporate side of HR, uh, doing recruitment in HR and working on HR projects, that's when I started to delve more into the concept of diversity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have um, an de- uh, undergraduate degree in public policy, and it was then when I decided, hey, let me go and do my master's in human resource management. Yeah. And while I was doing my master's, I met a wonderful professor, Professor Jing Wang, who was extremely passionate about diversity because that was kind of her background. And she started the first uh, master's level diversity course um, at York University, which I was um, proud to be a part of. And it was really through that passion right uh, that she had that really stirred it up in me so i honestly would say like she would be another person <laughs> you know that really kind of um stirred me in the direction that i'm in now because in my current role now half of my role deals with talent acquisition and the right. other half deals with diversity inclusion belonging and equity strategy so right right and i don't want to presume your age at all but i would assume that it was probably early on like these conversations were probably just happening at that time just to have a mentor who was um, so engaged in diversity and inclusion early on in your career um, must have been really interesting and you're able to get so much out of that because, you know, it really has been only, from my perspective, only been the last, you know, maybe five to seven years that we've been really, really talking about it and talking about how that to be more inclusive in our workplaces. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I'll be completely transparent. I did my my master's probably about three years ago, so 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 so, so she so she so she she just got you know involved in my life. But even so, I mean, um, and Kimberly Dennis, it, it was actually quite a while ago. So you know, yeah. the, these are people that when I think about people who have shaped me, this yeah. is what I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, so we've seen the HR profession change quite dramatically over the years, and. Uh, there's more designations required now, and there's different emphasis. Like I said earlier, there's the recruitment area, there's professional development, diversity and inclusion, as you mentioned. So, uh, if I was in HR, like how would I know now to navigate the field so I know what I what area I would want to focus on? Yeah. So typically, what ends up happening is people that graduate with like let's say bachelor degrees or come out with um, out of um, a community college with like a post secondary diploma or some type of human resource diploma, what ends up happening is they usually start off as an HR generalist. Mm-hmm. So they get their feet wet in like everything, right, in their hands, and 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 then typically there's like a discovery. 
mm. of what you know your personal passion is. So some people end up saying, I love recruitment. And some people say, oh, I love HR data. Or some people say, oh, I love professional development or learning and, learning and development. So I think, I think it's a, that's usually the discovery. Yeah. Um, for people that you know, come from, I would say, third-party organizations that are catering to, as a vendor to companies, mm -hmm. you know, depending on what the specialty is, whether it's learning development training or whatever, I find that those people typically, when they come into a corporate environment and work yeah. corporate now, they usually focus on that passion right. um, that they're doing or possibly expand. But mm -hmm. um, I think that's usually the typical career path, if I could say it like that. And particularly, uh, you know, uh, barriers to um, accessing the HR field. Um, what do you what do you find particularly for racialized individuals um, entering the field? Do you see that there are some challenges or barriers entering the field or entering leadership roles? Um, you mentioned that a lot of individuals start off as generalists. Um, do you see that a lot in the racialized communities, or um, is there a pathway for leadership roles? Yeah, that's a great question. So typically in HR specifically, and this has just been, you know, how it's been since World War II, mm -hmm. typically um, HR has been seen as an administrative function. And, and you found that mainly uh, white women, right, were the ones getting into that function. So, you know, there is a lot more women than men. I would say maybe over the last 20 years, you're now seeing the shift of more racialized people trying to get into um, the field. And so, I, you know, and so the barriers to ra the racialized community getting into HR, I think is no different mm -hmm. than any other role. It could be sales, it could be anything else. I think, I think that um, you're, you're starting to see a move of more people trying to get into the field. Mm -hmm. But again, it's, it's really just uh, the similar barriers of, is there an equitable recruitment process that right. causes me to be selected for my skills and qualifications? And, you know, these different types, those different types of barriers. But I, I'm, I'm finding, especially more lately, yeah. you're seeing a lot more racialized people getting into this field. Okay. Um, and, and then we switch over to talking about internationally trained professionals and you know, the, that comes with a set of like other, you know, you know uh, other areas of, um, you know, uh, stresses or how to get into the field because they are new to Canada and they may have, you know, obviously um, some additional barriers such as uh, language and um, education and things like that. Um, so what are some of the, uh, I'm interested to hear your take on what some of the early mistakes that you might have seen from HR professionals who are internationally trained as they start to launch their career. What are some of the early mistakes that they make when they first come into the country? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think that it, the first thing is not believing mm -hmm. that your experience is valid in Canada. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when you don't believe your experience is valid, mm -hmm. that creates a personal internal perception Right. that causes you not to be confident mm -hmm. in talking about your experience because it seems like the Canadian, it seems like Canadian organizations have created this, you need Canadian experience view, yeah. which causes people to think that their seven years of HR experience coming into Canada is not valid. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, what every internationally trained professional should know is that their experience is valid and they should be confident in their experience and what they should do is learn 
um, how to present their experience in a way where they can um, allow an employer mm -hmm. to see the similarities mm -hmm. of other Canadian companies. So let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. If you have a company in your country mm -hmm. that is similar to, let's say, Loblaw, Right. Right. Whatever the, the company is, um, you know, a big retailer, it's similar to like a law blah, right? But it's only, but that company is only well known in your country, right? right. For where you are coming from. Yeah. You've got to figure out a way of how to translate the similarities between that and the, the company that you're interviewing here. And if you can do that, you will show the employer, right? The yeah. value that you bring. Right. Right. And so that's what I mean. I think it's harnessing that you know, yeah. and, and, and getting past that mental barrier first of, look, my yeah. experience is valid. I've just got to show employers how it's valid in this market. For sure. For sure. That makes a lot of, lot of sense. And, um, and then on the flip side, you have, um, again, like you said, some of the misconceptions of hiring managers, right? From internationally trained professionals and newcomers. What are some of those misconceptions you talk a little bit about not having that experience? Is that the biggest misconception and and then the follow-up is around how the hr community can also so you talked about the newcomer coming in with that confidence and with those experiences that you know you can translate and um, say are very similar to what they would experience here in those companies what can hr professionals do to ensure that they are also um, supporting a, a newcomer that may not have that confidence yes yeah so i think we're getting now back to uh our conversation about systemic, <laughs> uh, systemic oppression almost yeah. uh, in organizations, really what it is. So I think HR professionals need to deconstruct the systems that have caused them to think mm -hmm. that we require Canadian experience yeah. and start to, and the way that an HR professional like myself can support an internationally trained professional is say, say, I am looking at you from right. the experience that you bring, the skills yep. and qualifications that you bring as an individual. Yeah. And so, and so the, let's, let's get the words as an HR professional. Um, if I was encouraging the community, let's get words like Canadian experience out of our vocabulary. Yeah. Let's free yeah. ourselves from stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. Let's now look at the beauty of global experience. Right. <laughs> and, and let's um, see how we can, make it fair mm -hmm. for people from a variety of backgrounds right. to interview yeah. against and compete against other people, yeah. right? And let's evaluate them in a structured way mm -hmm. um, in our interview process, just like we'd evaluate anyone else yep. and give them a fair shot at getting employment, regardless yeah. of wherever they came from. Do you think that, um, uh, just a follow-up question that I'm curious, do you think that this situation with the COVID-19 pandemic will actually um, maybe somehow force the HR community or make the HR community think differently like that because, you know, everything is online now. You're not getting that experience of seeing the person in, uh, you know, in the fit flesh, like you said, have these preconceived uh, conceptions in your head of what a person should look like or should behave like. Um, when they're coming in for recruitment or an interview, is that do you, do you feel like it's going to change? Yeah, so I think although there's been a lot of negatives from you know obviously health, death, um, job loss, you know economy, you know the the the, the, the issues in the economy, um, there's a lot of positives. 
from from COVID nineteen, which now this whole virtual world has has made us global. It's made us global. Uh, but here's the truth. Here's the truth. Sam Padabit, I think. I think progressive companies mm-hmm. will harness this <laughs> and use it to their advantage. Yeah. Not every company is going to. Yeah. But progressive organizations that understand that we now have access to global talent like we've never had it before. Yeah. Right? And, and companies that are okay now with recognizing the beauty of remote work, mm-hmm. right, yeah. will harness that. Yeah. I think the, the things we have to consider mm-hmm. um, in harnessing it, though, is depending on the type of work, uh, you know, different time, thinking about considering different time zones, stuff like that for collaboration purposes, yeah, because sometimes sure. it is a challenge to collaborate from here to Australia, not saying it's not possible, yeah, but sometimes yeah. it is, is a challenge. So I think those are the considerations, yeah. but I, I think progressive thinking companies will harness it and others won't. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just switching gears a little bit, I mentioned at the beginning of the interview that, uh, Fix Software has been an incredible employer partner of Skills for Change over the last couple of years. And uh, you've provided employment opportunities for clients, you know, uh, supported our newcomer clients in terms of hosting recruitment fairs, delivering workshops on things, as you mentioned, on building confidence. You particularly have, um, have uh, worked on workshops with our clients around building that confidence and uh, getting noticed um, in the, you know, um, employment field of HR. Um, I, why is it important for FIX and for you personally to, you know, support an immigrant serving agency like ours? Sure. Starting from, from myself, I think number one, um, uh, from an authentic view, I, I, I'm a son of immigrants, <laughs> right? Uh, being first generation. So I understand the struggle um, yeah. that people can go through. Number two, I, I've personally been a job seeker. Mm-hmm. So I understand this Canadian market takes yeah. networking and meeting the right people in order to find the right job opportunity. In a lot of other um, uh, countries, it's not like that. You could just send a resume and you're good to go. But in right. Canada, specifically in the Toronto market, networking is, is really your best friend when it comes to the job market. And so because I know that, I yeah. want to help other people, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why, um, me personally, first of all, that's why I'm involved with Skills for Change because I want to give them the recruiter and the employer view right. and help them to, to, to excel and get in the job market. Yeah. Fix is committed to um, this partnership because our community is important to us. And being a part of the community and partnering with the community and letting the community know that um, we're not just here to build revenue, but we're also here to give back to people. And I think, um, so for example, FIX has um, a program that's mandatory for all employees where every employee has to do two mandatory volunteer days, right? Uh, To their community um, partnership of choice. Now, believe it or not, I could use my time at, at, uh, I could use my time at, um, skills for change and the things that I do as a volunteer thing, but fix fix is so uh, desirous to be integrated with skills for change that this is just a part of my job. Yeah. So, so, so that's, that's kind of where fix is coming from. And, and it really honestly comes stems from great leadership. 
Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, obviously, you guys, like I said, have been an incredible partner. And just going back to your own personal um, reasons for doing this, like, I'm also a, a, a you know, a child of um, immigrants who came in the 1960s. And I'm not sure if your parents felt this way, but they didn't have the option of accessing an agency like Skills for Change, right? And Absolutely. So you hear about the stories of the struggles, and I'm not saying every struggle is obviously different, you know, from the 1960s to today, but they always say we didn't even have something like this where we could come and access the services or access have access to employers. So uh, I'm sure that that's part and parcel of it as well for you. Yeah, absolutely. It it def it, it it definitely is. It definitely is. And yeah. And uh, as I said, like I think the ultimate thing for me is I, I just want to help. You know, I just want to support. I mean, if, if I'm really talking grassroots, yeah. every time I walk into a skills for change office and see, you know, 30 people who are interested in learning more about how they can um, excel their career, I just think of myself being in, in their seat. That's it. Absolutely. And I, and I, and I want to just, you know, be of help. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it definitely is. It definitely is. And, yeah. and uh, as I said, like, I think the ultimate thing for me is I, I just want to help. You know, I just want to support. I mean, if, if I'm really talking grassroots, yeah. every time I walk into a skills for change office and see, you know, 30 people who are interested in learning more about how they can um, excel their career, I just think of myself being in, in their seat. That's it. And I, and, I, and I want to just, you know, be of help. Yeah. And we really appreciate that, Dean, like you um, would not imagine. And uh, it's been a real pleasure to have uh, Fix on board. And um, really support our clients uh, in their in their journey. Um, and I have one final question for you. Um, we, as I mentioned at the beginning, we recently hosted a workshop on anti-black racism and in the workplace. And you were one of the panelists of that discussion. And we delved into this idea of belonging to a company. And I'm just interested in hearing your thoughts on the feeling of belonging. So why is it important from an HR perspective? And what do HR professionals need to envelop in, as a sense of in belonging within their organization? Yeah. So the, the importance to at least us at FIX uh, regarding belonging is we want our employees to actually feel like they can bring their whole self to work. Mm -hmm. That's important. Right. You know, it's funny. I, I recently was on a call um, with our employees, there were about 45 employees on this call, and mm -hmm. we were talking about issues in the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, you know, some of our um, employees who are from um, the LGBT community discussed was their sense of feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they talked about environments that they don't feel safe in, but, and talked about environments that they do. And their safety Simpata, believe it or not, in this discussion about safety, what they're really, really expressing is when I don't feel safe, I can't perform to the best of my ability. Right. Wow. So if they can't perform yeah. to the best of their ability, then we're losing a part of them, a part of their innovation, their creativity yeah. Yeah. that could be yeah. added to our product, to, to our customers, to everything that we do. Yeah. And yeah. so um, belonging to us is extremely important. And how we measure belonging is we have a... Uh, software tool with two. We have one called Office Vibe and we have one called 15.5. And what Office Vibe does is it sends pulse uh, survey checks through our Slack messaging system on a weekly basis to employees. And it gives us a sense of how employees are feeling at 
on a, on a weekly basis, as well as with our uh, 15.5 tool, which we use for one-on-ones but it, and performance, but it also measures how employees are feeling that week. And managers can get, get a, a grasp on that. And so uh, at FIX, we usually hover between 8.1 and 8.5 out of 10 in terms of that, which is a very high number from their rating perspective. And so that's how we measure to understand where we are. Where we are. So that we can see if we ever fall beneath that, we know we've got work to do and focus in, in areas to focus on. So that's why belonging is important to us. Yeah. And what, if, what, what can companies do if they're falling you know, well b- below that 8.5? How do you get those numbers up? Yeah, great, great question. Um, well, first of all, if you have the capability and the tools to measure that type of data, mm-hmm. um, typically with that type of data, you can segment it by department and you could see where, um, where you're the weakest, if you don't mind me using that term. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's where we can provide extra training. We can provide extra insight to hiring managers. And that's what the, that's the true role of HR, right? In my opinion, or people, you know, it's not an administrative function. It's providing insight and data to really help support managers. And so that's where I would start. I would look at the data, look at the departmental data, and then work with the hiring managers in those departments um, on plans of how we can boost the morale or see kind of what's going on. So it's a good deep dive into data. I think that sounds really, really interesting. And I hope that other companies are, you know, like you said, the progressive companies are able to adopt you know, um, uh, you know, whether it's software or just programs such as this so that um, they can take that pulse regularly and, um, you know, we can make a really, really truly, truly inclusive workplace, uh, you know, environment, right? But um, I, I think we can continue these conversations for ages and ages. And I know, Dean, that you're going to be a speaker in our upcoming Diversity at Work conference that we're going to be um, sharing the date with uh, next week. And so I'm really excited to continue to delve some, into some of these um, important uh, you know, insights and uh, tools and techniques with you as we go forward so well, well you know what simpata now as you're talking you know what i'm thinking maybe at the diversity at work conference maybe i should do my session on how do we use data yeah to validate diversity inclusion belonging and equity i think i think that's uh that would be a a cool thing to to have a conversation with other hr professionals about. i absolutely agree because i think that um you know a lot of conversations you know we moved from talking about diversity to the last couple of years, you know, really talking about what does it mean to be inclusive. And so I think that a lot of the HR community has come to us and said, said we, we want to do it, we don't know how to do it, right? We need right. somebody who can help us with doing it and help to measure it. And I think the measurement is the key aspect because, you know, um, you know kind of putting something out, putting a policy out or something like that is one thing. Um, but having your company actually, you know, respond to you in a way that you know it's working is really the, the key the key to the success, right? Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dean. I really appreciate it. This was a great conversation. Like I said, we can continue for hours and hours. We could. <laughs> <laughs> we could. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stay in touch and uh, we'll have more information um, on what Dean will be presenting at the Diversity at Work conference. So thanks very much and have a great day. Fantastic. Thank you again. And thanks to the audience for listening.